0: which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus.
1: I want to welcome you here this morning. I'm glad that you're worshiping with us, and I don't know who, but uh, several of you must have been praying for snow harder than some of us were praying not for snow. So uh, the the snow people won, so God uh, God blessed us, God blessed us with, a, um, I think, it's going to be a white Christmas, so it's good, good, so. Just glad that you're here. I'd ask you to bow with me as we pray in preparation for worshiping the Lord through some time in his word. Father, we come at this Christmas season and we remember the birth of Jesus. And I pray that as we remember the birth of Jesus, we would remember the reason and the purpose for his birth and for and also remember what that can mean for each and every one of us. I pray that you would guide us in our time of study in your word and may your spirit work in each of our hearts to do the work that you know needs to be done in each of us because you understand and you see and you know as we gather here and we come with smiling faces and bright, sunshiny uh, smiles and all these things, I just know that you know what's going on deep within our souls. And I pray... Uh, that you would meet us where we need to be met this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. I was thinking about Christmas, and I was thinking one of the, if if we're really honest, I think one of the reasons most of us really like Christmas is because we get stuff, right? We get gifts. So, I want to ask you this morning, what's one of the most favorite gifts you ever received? socks (laughs) honest truth right Kara? socks okay see now some of us laugh but for some people especially not in America but even in America socks would be a huge thing and I know that um, I didn't know my, da- my dad was going to be here this morning, but I know my dad would say, yeah, when I was a kid, you know, when we got, if we got a pair of socks that didn't have holes in it, that was a great thing. Okay, somebody else. Waking up was a gift. Okay, amen. Amen. Somebody else, come on. An engagement ring. Whoa. That's crazy. Levi, did you have one? What? God. That's the greatest gift that's the greatest gift over here a stuffed dolphin a robotic marshal uh, I'll talk to you about that later I brought uh, I br- does your does that marshal arrest your dad no I brought one of my uh, my favorite gifts that I got for Christmas when I was a kid uh, had to put it in this. This was uh, one of my favorite gifts as a kid. I don't know, did the Vikings win yesterday? Yeah. Okay. See, I used to be a huge Minnesota Vikings fan and, and people who've heard me preach know this until they lost four Super Bowls in a row. And, uh, and then I kind of gave up on the dream of uh, being a Minnesota Vikings fan, diehard fan. So now I'm just kind of a pseudo fan or the Minnesota Vikings, but I remember, now, the, the thing is with gifts, they, they go out of style. Now, that one didn't go out of style, but it certainly doesn't fit me anymore, okay, so I can't run around and wear it, and I, was, I had a picture of when I got that, that gift as a Christmas gift, but the Christmas gifts we get, they, they, they go out of style, and they lose their luster, and, you know, it's kind of like, what's hot today, is, and, and the big thing is next week it's going to be out, and then there's going to be another gift that we want to have. I mean, some of you remember when iPods were a big thing. It's like, like, I mean, I paid big money for an iPod. And it's like, it's in a junk door somewhere, you know, because everything, your phone does it all now. And it's so you used to buy cameras. So oh, I got this really big digital. No, I know, I know you can, some of you camera connoisseurs will go. Well, what if we could make every day, christmas day so that the gift didn't lose its luster and the things didn't go out of style and they didn't wear out wear off or become worthless well in paul's book written to titus who he put in charge of the churches in the area of crete he gives us kind of an insight into what i think is helpful in making every day christmas day so, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. I'm going to read the text in Luke or uh, Titus chapter two. I'm in Titus chapter two, so it's first and second Timothy and then Titus. Okay, so it's in the New Testament. It's kind of partway through, maybe a little bit towards more towards the end, the, after the Gospels. Titus chapter two, verses eleven through fourteen, making every day Christmas. Paul says this: For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age, looking for that glorious appearance and the the great glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. And to purify for himself a people for his possession, zealous for good deeds. As I was thinking about what I wanted to share this morning, I thought, you know, making everyday Christmas, Paul drills down on how we can make everyday Christmas day. He's put in charge of these churches and he's supposed to teach them sound doctrine. Timothy is supposed to, or Titus is supposed to teach these people sound doctrine. So Paul told Titus, teach them sound doctrine. And he was doing it, but they were kind of messing up. And he was several times throughout this short book, he goes back and says, look, your conduct needs to match your confession. Your practice needs to be consistent with your profession of faith. And it's not there. And in verse 10, which I didn't read, he says that you may adorn the doctrine of godliness. Well, how can they do that? Well, then he tells them. And so the incarnation, which he mentions in verse 14, or 11, I'm sorry, in verse 11 through 14, that incarnation gives us really the reason why the believer's behavior is expected to be consistent with their profession. Or their practice and their profession should be the same. And he says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. Well, what's grace? Huh? Undeserved favor. It's an unmerited gift. When I walked into the study here at Creekside Church on August 28th, there was a flowering plant in my study from someone in the congregation an undeserved gift unmerited favor didn't ask for it didn't expect it it was there as an unmerited favor He says the incarnation is the the grace of God he says for the grace of God that unmerited favor of God has appeared God's gift has appeared when did God's gift appear christmas john 1 14 the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory glory is of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth grace god's gift the grace of god appeared in the person of jesus on that first christmas morning paul is referring to god's gift revealed in human flesh Christ's coming to earth. So there are three ways that the incarnation, at least I think, provides motivation for our conduct to match our confession. And each of these ways shows us how we can make every day Christmas Day. First of all, the incarnation brings salvation to all men. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. That's what the text says. Christ came to earth to make provision for every human being to become a child of his. And particularly, he kind of delineates what he, you know, from every walk of life. In the previous verses, he says, older. he addresses the older men, the older women, the younger men, the younger women, slaves, people from every kind of background, every kind of station in life. He provides salvation. But then, you know, okay, so... But salvation from what? Or deliverance from what? That would be a natural question. He came to provide salvation, but salvation from what? Well, the text lays it out for us. If you look at verse 13, he says, Looking for the blessed hope and uh, appearing of of the glory of our great God and Savior, our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, then verse 14, who gave himself for us. That he might redeem us from every lawless deed. That's the key. Save us for what? From what? From every lawless deed. He came to redeem us from every lawless deed, but then you gotta know what redeem means. <sighs> Here we go, with these word studies, you know. It's like, well, but if you don't know what the word means, how can you know what it means? He redeemed us from what? Redeem means to pay the price of release, it's a term that was used in the slave markets. They would purchase that person and buy their freedom. They would buy them out of the slave market of sin. It's the price of release. So what the text says is that Christ, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, purchase us out of, pay the price to release us from slavery to sin. Our family took a vacation a few years ago, and we went down to the Lake of the Ozarks. And instead of trying to drive two cars, we, we, because one of us had to come back early, we parked one of our cars at a gas station in Southern Iowa. And I went into the gas station owner and I said, okay, we, we're going to leave this car for a couple of days. Where can I park it? Oh, yeah, just park it over there on the other side of the building. Just drive up there and park it there. I said, we're going to be here. It's going to be here for a couple of days. Is that okay? Yeah, no problem. No problem. You know, it's no problem. Okay. So, we went down, celebrated Christmas, came back, went to the gas station, car's gone. Where's my car? Oh, well, they, they towed it. What? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was parked in front of the unloading zone, and you can't leave it there, and so we had to tow it away, and now it's in the impound, and you can go down there and pay the price of release. didn't have to pay the price of release because I uh, had a little discussion with the manager and I said look I was told explicitly by your worker that it was okay to park it there so they paid the price of release but somebody paid the price of release the text says that the grace of God appeared Christ appeared bringing salvation deliverance from every lawless deed by paying the price of release Every one of us is lawless by nature and by choice. Stubborn, rebellious, self-centered, arrogant, independent. And the Bible says all of us are in that condition. And then the Bible says we deserve God's wrath because of it. Now that doesn't seem, well, that doesn't seem right. Well, God is perfect. We're not. And he can't stand in the presence of imperfection. And so, when we are distancing ourselves from him, there is a price to be paid. The grace of God in Jesus brought salvation, but how? How did he redeem us? Well, the text says, in verse 14, he gave himself for us. What does that mean? Well, if we deserve payment, then Somebody has to pay. And when it says that he gave himself for us, it means in our place. So instead of us paying the price, he paid the price to release us from the penalty of our sin. I remember when one of our children had messed up, they had sinned, they had violated the laws of the household, the Smith household, and consequences were forthcoming. So I took them into our bedroom, and uh, you can talk to me about this later, but uh, we, we, we did practice corporal punishment uh, at, at certain points in life. Uh, there are certain occasions that we, we did this, not every time. But, and so this was one of those times that I said, now you know what you did was wrong, yeah. And you know I told you not to do that, and you did it anyway, yeah well, you know, what what should happen? I should get punished. Okay. So what I did was, in this instance, I didn't do this with my children, but I took off my belt. And I knelt down and I said, Here, you punish me. They looked at me like I was strange. Strange. I said no I want you to take this belt and I want you to swat my backside very hard they almost couldn't do it because I was taking the punishment for their sin on myself and what the text of Scripture says is that that's what God did in his son Jesus Christ he took that which was causing our death on himself, our sin, so that he died in our place so that we might live. That's what it means to take the price and pay it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross that we might, we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. What's it mean? We might die to sin and live to righteousness. Why? He did it for us in our place. That's what it means to have your sins forgiven. In him we have redemption. That's what redemption means. He paid the price of release to release us from our sins so that we might be saved and delivered from it. See, heaven's love came down on the first Christmas morning. Heaven's love came down reaching to save the world from sin. A baby wrapped in a manger right fast forward 33 years and that baby was a grown man who was crucified on a cross and they took him down from the cross and they laid him in linen clothes and rested his body in a tomb Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he had victory over sin and death and conquered it. That's what Jesus did—salvation from our sins. The grace of God appeared, bringing salvation from our sins. Possibility of it for all men who would believe. He died in our place, so that all who believe, who trust in Christ, will have eternal life. What does it mean to to trust in Christ? What does it mean to, to rest in him? A baby wrapped in, in swaddling clothes and lied in a manger. He died. And it's not a matter of us doing the work. You know, some of you come from different church backgrounds, you know, and it's like, well, I was baptized, I was catechized, I was confirmed, I went to church, I became a member, I gave money in the offering plate, I became a person who served in the church. And all those things are good things, but none of those things save us. None of those things deliver us from the punishment from sin. The Bible says, for by grace you have been saved. That's the unmerited favor of God. Not as a result of works. So nobody can brag about it. See, none of us is here can say, Yeah, well, you know, I've, I've attained to this place of higher education, and I've done all these things for Jesus. And so, you know, you may be a nice person, but I'm really good in God's eyes. Every one of us is equally condemned before God and equally justified by the blood of Christ and that alone. So nobody can brag about it. But we must put our faith. This gift is received. You're going to leave this place and some of you are going to go right home and you're going to unwrap packages or you're going to do it tonight or you're going to do it tomorrow and some of you have already done it. Isn't it interesting that, well, how many Christmases do you have? Oh, well, we've already had two or three. We're going to have two or three more. What? There's only one Christmas. But to unwrap the gift is to put our faith or a trust in what Jesus did. It's not just intellectual assent. It's not just knowledge. It's it's personal, active faith. We took our our kids to the Royal Gorge uh, several years ago, okay? And uh, we... uh, when we are at the Royal Gorge, we decided we are going to go across the tram that's in the Royal Gorge. Now, I don't know, maybe you've never been to the Royal Gorge, but 2,200 feet across, 1,200 feet down to the Arkansas River. And you're going to ride this little car that's about as big as this platform on a, suspended on a cable. Now, how stupid do you have to be to get in that car? So maybe some of your engineers. I know one, at least, engineer here. And I bet that person didn't even get out and inspect every rivet and all the tension and the cable. They can't do a metal test on uh, what the cable's made of and does it have the tensile strength to handle going across the bridge or across the, the um, gorge there. See, what it means to put our faith or our trust in Jesus is actively getting dislike actively getting in that cable car i mean i can know about the cable car you saw the cable car i can understand that if you get in the cable car and they get the engine going you'll go across but if i actually really trust i get in the cable car if i actually really trust in what god did through sending his son jesus i get I, i put my faith and my trust i say lord i'm a messed up person and i'm headed for hell i know that I deserve your judgment, but thank you so much for sending your son Jesus who died on the cross and paid the price for my sins that I might have forgiveness and the promise of eternal life. I want to surrender my life to you and ask you to lead me and guide me and direct me. That's what it means to put our faith in Christ. And when you receive that gift, it is the person of Christ who satisfies our deepest need, which is for forgiveness. Now, I know every commercial you watch says you have a deeper need than forgiveness. You know, you need whatever they're selling. That's what you need. No, you don't. We need forgiveness. But this person of Christ who satisfies my deepest need for forgiveness when I put my faith or my trust, he also heals my deepest hurts. He comforts me in my deepest sorrow. He guides me in my confusion. He gives me wisdom when I lack none. He gives me strength when I am weak. He gives me power. To overcome sin, the presence and the power of sin in my life. Colossians 2, verse 9, Paul says, And in him, in him dwells all the fullness of God in bodily form. And in Him you have been made complete. In Christ we lack nothing that we need. Now that's a gift that keeps on giving. Really keeps on giving. On this Christmas Eve day... I want to ask, have you received the greatest gift, which we were reminded here was God, God's Son, have you received the greatest gift? By personally trusting in Jesus and His death on the cross. And if you haven't, I just would like to challenge you to do that. And to you know, step into that tram, which basically is just a, a, one way to do it, is just to pray. To put our trust in Him. And I challenge you to say, well, is that not what Christmas is all about? Yeah, okay, but I don't really buy that Christmas stuff. Okay, I I can't make you, but what I can say is that's what Christmas is all about, and that's why God did give his son. I challenge you to unwrap that gift. And if you have received the gift, I just want to challenge those of us who received the gift to rejoice in the gift. Just find some time and just bow before the Lord and just thank Him for that undeserved favor of rescuing me from a life of destitute sinfulness and wretchedness that is so empty and vacuous and vain. See, in Christ I have purpose. In Christ I have power. In Christ I have forgiveness. In Christ I am complete. And apart from Christ I'm nothing. And then I want to ask you, do you, see? if you look at the text, you see that he saved us not from, only from, but he saved us for. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. He saved us to be transformed. So it's not just a gift we receive, but it's a gift that we give. So that we share this gift and we show the love of Christ in this gift. That's what he called us. And he says to purify for himself and then a people for zealous for good works. That's, that's verse 14. You know, when, when we're saved by grace through faith, then it's a natural response to give and love and show. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone and the new has come. So there's a change. And that's what God has called us to, is to reflect that change so that we rejoice in our salvation and we reflect our salvation through how we live. And then finally, the text says that we, the incarnation brings the expectation of glorification, looking for that blessed hope, which is Christ's return. You see, He came the first time to provide salvation. He's coming the second time to Take us all into glory where all the pain and sorrow and confusion and hardships of this life are over. And that should be a motivation to to live live rightly and to honor him. To give you a picture of that and an illustration of that, I'm going to read a story, if you'll indulge me, for a few minutes. And I just want to read this story because I think it's a picture of what it means to have a grasp of rejoicing in deliverance and then to respond in light of that deliverance. The name of the story, which I'm going to have to put on my spectacles here in order to read, is Christmas Island. The New England villagers made it plain to Mary and Joseph Carpenter that they were not welcome. Then uh, the miracle happened. If you're lucky enough to visit Christmas Island off the rock-bound coast of Maine, the natives will point out to you with pride and, reflect- and affection the home of Joseph and Mary Carpenter. It is a tight, compact, freshly painted little white house set on the very center of the village. Every beam and every rafter, every floorboard has been laid carefully by the islanders themselves in recognition of the miracle, the miracle that eight years ago gave Christmas Island its name. In the neat white house, 37-year-old Joseph Carpenter with his wife Mary and their 8-year-old son live happily and comfortably at peace with each other and with the world. On the one large front room is a sort of Yankee trader's post where the villagers do a land office business, swapping everything from boats to baked goods. The islanders pay the carpenters for the space as well as for running the shop. And so, even though Joseph is a victim of Parkinson's disease, he is independent and self-supporting. You would never guess, watching the villagers bustling in and out day after day, that there had been a time, not too long ago, when everyone had signed a petition to have the carpenters removed and evicted. Oh, not from this house, mind you. They were living in the lighthouse then, and this is where the story really begins, for this is the story of the lighthouse on Gull Island. The lighthouse that gave Christmas Island its name on the 25th morning of December in 1959. To begin, Mary and Joseph Carpenter bought the lighthouse lock, stock, and barrel for $460. It was hopelessly run down and derelict, a derelict tower rising sharply at the sea's edge, unpainted, weather-whipped with a ribbon of water separating it from Gull Island. But to the Carpenters, it was their ivory tower. By trade, Joseph had been an automobile mechanic, a good one, with his own little shop in Portland. He was shocked to learn that September day 3 months before that he had parkinson's disease progressive chronic incurable with their first child expected in december they didn't know what, quite what to do joseph's limbs were already getting stiff joseph's life expectancy was no doubt long but if he were unemployable how could he possibly plan a future for himself for mary and for his child carefully he had checked his savings sold his shop counted his assets and then almost as a godsend he had heard about the Gull island lighthouse by a fluke of horse trading it had come into the possession of a portland merchant who was glad to sell it for the carpenters it was an answer to prayer seeming solution to all their problems in a small place like Gull island the cost of living would be less than in the city the pace would be slower they might even find some way to supplement their savings And so, on the 10th of November in 1959, Joseph and Mary Carpenter came to their ivory tower. If they had guessed how violently the villagers would react to what they termed outsiders taking up residence in the lighthouse, they might have hesitated. But they had no way of knowing how proud and hideabound, how steeped in tradition the islanders were. Their troubles began as soon as they reached the dock. First, there was no boat to to rent, uh, to ferry them across the small strip of water that separated Gull Island from the lighthouse. Finally, when Joseph, in desperation, bought one, he paid $50 for old flat-bottomed scow that wasn't worth more than $10. Supplies were next, and here, too, Joseph and Mary met the undisguised resentment of the villagers when Mary protested that the prices marked on the shelves were much lower than the prices they had been paid or charged by the storekeeper. He merely grunted, eh not to outsiders. From the very beginning, everything went the same way. It was very clear that Gull Island wooded no part of the squatters in the lighthouse, and and the sooner Joseph and Mary Carpenter headed back to the mainland, the better would be for all concerned. Joseph would have gone back too many times, but for some strange reason, Mary would not leave. Especially, she would not leave after she found in the lighthouse storeroom the old driftwood cradle. "'Don't ask me to go now, Joseph,' she pleaded. "'I can't explain why. I don't know why. "'I only know that our baby has to be born here. "'Later, if you still wish it, I'll go. "'Oh, indeed, I'll gladly go.' "'But not yet. "'Don't ask me to...' "'So Carpenter stayed. "'November lengthened into December. "'Joseph's disease, aggravated by the conditions around him, "'grew worse. His arms trembled more "'and became harder and harder for him "'to make the trips to the village for supplies and kerosene.'" especially for kerosene, for it was heavy and awkward to handle and he could bring only a little at a time. It seemed to Joseph that the villagers watching him trying to haul the five-gallon cans were just waiting for the day when he could no longer manage them at all. It was as if they were saying, when the kerosene is gone, they'll have to move. They'll have no heat, no light, no food. The disease would take many years to break Joseph Carpenter's body what the islanders did to his spirit in six short weeks was a terrible thing and that what the entire experience did to his own soul was even worse gradually joseph began to hate the place and even to hate god himself until that christmas morning there was no doctor on Gol island only joseph was with her when their son a fine strong man child was born at midnight on christmas eve only Joseph was with her to wonderingly pick up his son in his arms and to stand straight and tall, not trembling now, looking across the strip of sea to the land where they had been refused room and kindness and understanding. And then a strange thing happened to Joseph. Afterward, he tried to put into speech, but there were no words. He only knew that as he held the baby in his arms, a great joy suddenly welled up within him. And he wanted to share the supreme moment of happiness with all the world, In that instant, there was no longer any room inside him for fear of his disease or for hatred. He turned from the bed and still holding the baby close against his chest, lest his weakened hands should slip. He knew as he looked across the strip of sea to the land beyond that nothing mattered anymore. All the frustration and bitterness were gone as if they never had been seen. Here in Joseph's arms was only hope, hope eternal. Born in his son, just as it had been born in every child since the world began. Gently, Joseph gave the baby back to Mary and watched as she laid him in the driftwood cradle. And then, because he wanted to share this moment with the people of Gull Island, because he wanted to shout out loud to them, Behold, my son, may he grow up to be a credit to your village. Because he wanted to say, I'm not angry anymore, or hurt, or afraid. I only want to share with you the happiest moment of my life he took from his precious store of kerosene enough fuel to fill the five huge lamps in the lighthouse windows. He set them blazing like large candles in the dark, the five beams spread out in five directions like the five points of a giant star. Some of the islanders saw the light. A few of them thought it might even be a distress signal. But they couldn't have cared less. And so, unconcerned, they went about their affairs. It was six o'clock on Christmas morning before they really found out, six o'clock when the radio commentators first began to flash across the nation the story of the miracle. How could the villagers have guessed at exactly midnight that Mary Carpenter had given birth to her firstborn son and laid him in a driftwood cradle shaped like a manger? And how could they have possibly known that at 10 minutes past 12, just as Joseph lit the lamps to proclaim to the world that his son had been born, the pilot of a giant airliner lost in the fog off the coast with his plane's communication systems jammed, suddenly had seen the heavens open up around him and a huge five-pointed beacon shine through. The pilot tried to explain later to the reporters in Portland what had happened, but like Joseph, he could not put words to it. All he could tell, was that as the sky broke into light around him, he saw in one horrified instant that his plane was headed straight toward a crash landing in the center of Gull Island with its multitude of snug little homes clustered close together. Gull Island with its families sleeping, unaware of the danger. Sharply, he veered his craft back into the upper channel of air and out to sea. Then with a beacon to guide him, he found his course, and like a wise man led by a star, he carried his 88 passengers to a three-point landing in Portland leaving Christmas Island quietly asleep under its Christmas star. And now you know how the island got its name and why the villagers built the house for Joseph and Mary Carpenter. You know, too, why Christmas Island seems different from much of the rest of the world. The reason is that the spirit pervades the island, a spirit of love, understanding, and tolerance that is rare and genuine and wonderful. It is a spirit that never can die because it's part of the miracle of Christmas. Which, after all, began with the birth of a baby and a star of forgiveness his father lit, saved the world. Making every day Christmas Day means that we receive the gift that God gave in his Son, and then we respond to that gift continually, rejoicing every day and letting our awareness of our Forgiveness impact how we live every day. Showing and sharing the joy that we have received. And what better way to remind us of what God did for us on that blessed Christmas morn in the incarnation and point us to the purpose of the incarnation, to propel us to live in rejoicing from that incarnation and to remind us of his coming again and glorification then to break the bread and to share the cup around the Lord's table, which is our practice. And in doing so, we follow what Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me because it is the reason for the season that Christ came to live, to die, to rise so that all who put their trust in him would receive the gift of salvation and can give that gift and show that love each and every day. And so as you listen to our praise team sing, I want you to do some reflection. If you're here and you're maybe an antagonist or you're maybe apathetic towards this whole person of Jesus and the walk with Jesus stuff, all I can do is say, I just invite you to consider what Christ did on the cross and to pray and surrender your life because you can live in your own self-directed life and I'm telling you, it's empty. Or you can yield and find fulfillment. And those of us who know Christ, just take some moments to to reflect on what Jesus did in coming to this earth. And then as you feel the Spirit lead, get up and make your way. There are three tables uh, to the bread and to the cup and come back and join us and sing. Lord, give us grace to receive these gifts as a reminder of what you have given to us. The greatest gift of your life so that we can be redeemed and rescued
2: and live in light of that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Rejoice, rejoice Emmanuel shall
1: Every day is Christmas Day, and I ask you to think about rejoicing in the gift that you have received if you know Christ, receive Him if you haven't, and then reflect in our actions every day what it means to walk with Him. Let's pray. Father, by Your grace, move in us and through us. I pray for those who may still be doubting, may still be uh, resistant, that your spirit would work to help them see that the reality of Jesus is historical and it is real. I pray that you would turn their hearts by your grace. I pray that those of us who know you, that we would rejoice in the salvation that is ours, that we would reflect that salvation even today and every day in the way we interact with each other and with other people. And I pray that the light of, in light of your coming again, we would be motivated to hope in that blessed assurance that's going to be ours when we're with you forever in glory. Go with us now, and may we celebrate in the true spirit of Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you, you are dismissed. Thanks for joining us, and have a
2: Christmas.